Life Audio. Welcome to the Real Refreshment Podcast. Join us as we dive into motherhood at the foot of the throne with your host, Rachel Carmen. If you are tired, overwhelmed, and feeling alone, this is the place for you. A place for real moms with real stories seeking real refreshment found only in the living God. Take a minute to visit rachelcarmen.com and join the community of Real Refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the Word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment Podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen. Good day to all of you listeners. Thank you for tuning in today. We are going to take on a monumental task today and tackle Mark 14 in its entirety. I know, right? I'll be right back. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay. As promised, we are going to tackle Mark 14 today. And note to myself, I chose to go with someone else's outline for this study through the book of Mark, and I need to really check into that next time. It looked like a great plan at the time because I would have probably taken a really nice long time, like perhaps a year to march through the book of Mark. And so in an effort to not do that so that you would keep tuning in, I I endeavored to do it in a pretty short order, but this is a hard challenge today. Mark 14, 1 through 72. That's correct. There are 72 verses in this chapter of Mark's gospel today. We are not going to take a lot of time for review today because of that. 
But I do want to remind you to go over to rachelcarmen.com and to download the study guide. There is absolutely no way that we can dig as deep as I would like to today in this uh, chapter of Mark's Gospel. There is so much going on here. There are literary devices here today. There are people that I don't want us to miss. There is another prophecy. I mean, there's so much in these 72 verses. And again, that's one of the things that I love about scripture is it is the inspired and errant word of God. And man, it just continues to pack a punch. The more you dare to dig in and sit and marinate and seek the teaching of the Holy Spirit, there is so much here for you and for me. I want to reiterate that there's only one meaning of scripture, right? This is not, we don't come to the Bible and talk about how, what it means to me, right? How I apply it to my life is a very different question, but we are not coming seeking our own individual interpretations of scripture. There's one truth and that's what we all come together to seek. And then we, we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us how to apply that truth to our lives, right? And again, that's why when you dare to come to the Word of God over and over and over and lean in and learn of Him, you will find that you come to it the next time and you're like, wow, was that there last time I read it? Well, the answer to that is, yes, that was there, but you weren't here where you are now. And I know that that has been my experience over and over and over, and I'm so grateful. There's no way to ever get bored with Scripture because it's just... It's bottomless with its blessings and with its teachings and with its truth. And I'm so, so grateful for that. So I want to invite you to get your Bible, get your PDF download, get your notebook, whatever. I've got my notebook here with arrows and scribbles and circles and underlines and stars, all of that, as I sit with the Word of God, because that's truly one of my favorite things to do. A cup of tea, a lit candle, Um, the crickets or the birds early in the morning and just sitting there reading the word of God and listening to the Holy Spirit's teaching. It is just a blessing to me and to my soul. And that's what I hope that we're doing in our time together. I'm hoping that this is inspiring you to do just that, to take time to lean in, to take time to read, to take time to seek the truth that God wants to teach you. And to to mark up your Bible, to mark up your Bible study, and just to dare to ask him, what do you have here for me today? So again, I'm not going to be able to dig in as deep as I want to. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that if we haven't done that heretofore through this study of the book of Mark, that we will accomplish it today, that you'll want to get out your Bible and you'll want to go, wow, I want to look at that further because that that's really powerful. That's where I am. I, I see that. I need to understand that further. That's really what I'm hoping that we can do today. We've got so many players in our passage today. It's, um, it's the final week of Christ. It says, beginning in verse 1 of 14, now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away. So we're right there. We are right there at the end of the life and the ministry of Christ on this planet. And remember, he knows that. He knows that. He set his face to Jerusalem in this book alone, in 8, 9, and 10. He foretold of his going to Jerusalem 
and being handed over and suffering and dying. And you'll remember that the disciples just, I just couldn't get it. You know, they, they just couldn't get it. On the one hand, they were hoping that he would lead a revolution against the Romans and they wanted to be a part of that. And yet as things got tougher and tougher and tougher and the opposition grew and the cost of discipleship got more costly, you know, it's starting to get pretty tight in here and such that when Jesus says he's going to go, they're like, okay, let's go die with him. So you see sort of a change in their perspective, but even then it's not like they get why he came, but he knows, he knows. In this chapter, Mark 14, we have the following verbs associated with the Lord Christ. He visited, he reclined, he accepted. That's an implied one in 14.3b, so you can look at that. He defended, he sent, he prophesied, he arrived, he reclined, he said and foretold. He took, blessed, broke, gave, and said. So again... We serve an active God. He is not, we're not deists that believe that God put everything in order, created everything, put it in order, spun the world and took off and, you know, has his arms crossed out in space somewhere, just letting things take whatever order they take. No, we have a God who's active in our lives, in the circumstances of our lives, who hears our prayers. That's the God that we have. And we see that in the person of Jesus Christ, the the servant of God. This is God on the move in Jesus Christ, the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. And we see him active. And because we're called to live like he did, we're supposed to be active. We're supposed to be engaged. These verbs that we look at at the beginning of every week that we're studying we're supposed to have these kind of action verbs associated with how we're living. And we're supposed to be engaged in our family, in our marriage, in our neighborhoods, with our kids, in our community, in our church. We're supposed to be engaged. So again, we have him here at the beginning of chapter 14. And he is, oh, it says at the beginning, it says the chief priest and the scribes were seeking to seize him by stealth and kill him. So we've, seen a progression here. In the beginning, they wanted to just, you know, make him be quiet or go away. And then they wanted to destroy him. And now the scripture actually says they wanted to kill him. So this is this is serious stuff. I mean, they really want to take Jesus out. But it says they were saying not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. So again, this is something else we've seen throughout Mark's narrative is there is a very real fear on the part of the religious leaders against the crowd. They're fearful about how to actually take Jesus or seize Jesus or destroy Jesus because the people are amazed by his teaching. Okay. So in verse three, we find that Jesus is in Bethany, and this is a location that we're familiar with because of the raising of Lazarus, which is in John 11. I'm going to double check that. So give me a second. I don't want to say that wrong. So we get the resurrection of Lazarus in John 11. It's the only gospel that tells that story, but Mary Martha and Lazarus were really good friends of Jesus. That story you can read about in John. They also lived in Bethany. And so on this occasion in Mark 14, that's where Jesus is. So he has friends in this town. 
And it says, while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper. That's interesting. It's not possible that Simon is still a leper or no one could be at his house because lepers would have been required to be outside the city gates. They were considered unclean. So it's interesting to consider that he's still known as Simon the leper, but he's he can't possibly still be a leper. It's just an interesting note. He was reclining at the table, and there came a woman. Now, most of you have probably heard this story. I want you to realize she's unnamed. She is a woman. One of the things that is worth noting throughout all four of the Gospels is the elevation of women by the Christ. Jesus spoke to women. There are critics of the Gospel of Jesus, of Christianity, who say that it oppresses women. That's not true. Jesus broke all the rules and spoke to women and elevated women and honored women and healed women and saw women and ministered to women throughout his ministry. And we see that right here. So I want you to see that as we read this. It says, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For it could have been sold and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. Do you see this situation? All of these guys are sitting around, shooting the breeze. And Christ is right there. Two days from the feast. And he knows that. Two days from the feast. And here comes this woman. Here she comes. Boldly, she comes. In front of all these men, she comes. With her alabaster vial, she comes. And she breaks it. And she pours it over his head. It's really a stunning moment. Stunning. There's no indication that she asked anybody's permission. Or that she was fearful right? I would suggest to you she was compelled. She couldn't not come. Have you ever had a moment of ministry in your life? There was something that you knew that God was asking you to do, that there was something that you had to do. You had to go and meet with someone, call them, write them a note, take them a meal, take them a gift, go give them a hug. You were compelled to do so. You couldn't not do it. That's this woman at this moment. And it's beautiful. And even with all of her boldness and all of her courage to come into this gathering of men, she wasn't fearful. She was humble. And she took the very best of what she had and she broke it over him. When's the last time you and I brought the very best of what we've got and broke it for him? That's the example we see here with her. And yet, not surprisingly, upon her sacrifice and her extravagance, she's got critics. (laughs) She's got critics, just like you and I do. Don't miss this. She's got critics. They were indignant. I mean, really. What a waste. What an absolute waste. And they're criticizing her. And yet, I would suggest she's the only one in the room that got who he was. He was worthy of that vial of nard and so much more. 
she got who he was. She couldn't not give all she had, the best of all she had to him because she got who he was. She got who he was. That's the difference here. She got it. And they're scolding her. Don't miss this. Jesus said, let her alone. Why are you bothering her? What What in the world? This is Jesus. Do you see her defending her? Do you see what he's saying? He's standing up for her. She has done a good deed to me. For you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good for them. In other words, you're criticizing her. When's the last time you did something for the poor? Right? Jesus is like, yeah, don't go criticizing her. And I'm pretty sure he would have known when the last time was that any of them had done something for the poor. Look, it's really easy to criticize and not be looking in the mirror. Right? And Jesus is like, she has done what she could. You and I are asked to do what we can. Not what we can't, but what we can. Jesus commends her for doing what she could do. And she has anointed me beforehand for burial. Wow. I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. That's powerful. There's more there, but I've got to move on. Verse 10 This is Judas's turning point. We know that Judas was the one who kept, he was the treasurer, right, for the disciples. And this is just, he's just incensed. I mean, absolutely fed up. He is done. This is just it for him. He doesn't get it. And that's what you need to see. He doesn't get it. He spent time with Jesus, but he didn't get who he was. And that's the danger for you and I. To go to church, go to small group, go to retreats, go to all of these Christian spiritual events, and never get who he is. Like we check off the list, but we don't dare to lean into him. We don't dare to let him change us. We want it to be enough that we get close, but we don't get conviction, and we don't make commitments. That's Judas. He was right there. Do you get what he saw up close and personal? But he didn't get who Jesus was. We'll pick up there after this. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Okay, Judas, 
he just leaves. He's, he's fed up, and it says he went off, almost he flew off, right, to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. This was intentional. This was premeditated. He knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew what the religious leaders wanted to do, and he's like, you know what? I'm throwing in my lot with you. I'm done with this. I don't want to be associated with this. This is insanity. This is Judas. This is, by the way, the RRSV. It's not, this is not in scripture. This is me putting it in. He's just done. And you know what? There are temptations in our lives sometimes to just be done. It's not going the way we want it to. And we're just done. I want to dare you to get to know who Jesus is. Because when you get who he is, it makes all the difference. All the difference in the world. This woman got who he was. And she came and she did what she could. And Judas's response is just to run out. To go and to work with the other side to betray him. And they were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money. And he began seeking, this is Judas, how to betray Christ at an opportune time. He's already given over. Now, what I want to show you, and this is just absolutely beautiful. If you look at the story of this woman and with two other stories before and after it, it's really powerful. So if you look at the first few verses, the first two verses about the religious leaders who wanted to seize him secretly, who wanted to kill him, um, but not at the feast because they were fearful, right? And then you have this story of this woman who comes in front of all these men, so not secretly, right, to honor him, to pour out this perfume on him, not to seize him, right? And she comes bold and fearless, not fearful. Do you see the contrast? My goodness, the contrast between the religious leaders and this unnamed woman. It's beautiful, but it's even better than that. Now, you've got the story before with the religious leaders. You've got the woman, the compare and contrast there. Now take it even further to what we're going to see when we get over into Chapter 15 at the crucifixion. What is Jesus going to do? What is Jesus going to do? He's going to pour out his life for you and for me on the cross. Publicly. Boldly. Humbly. There's a parallel with the extravagant love of Christ on Calvary with the extravagant anointing of this woman right here. Don't miss that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So, like I said to you, we are not going to be able to dig into everything I want to. I am going to step over the teaching of the Last Supper because I'm fairly confident that that is familiar with you. So, I want to go over, and you can get that over in your study. You're welcome, and enjoy that. I'm going to turn the pages of my notebook so we can do this. Um, I want to go over then to one of my favorite verses, and that is... After the Lord's Supper, before they're going out, in Matthew, it says, um, after they sang a hymn. I just love that. So after he does the Lord's Supper, Judas leaves, they do the Lord's Supper, and then they sing a hymn, and they head out. I love that is included in Holy Writ because 
it really sets the stage. It shows us that Jesus is focused. He knows what he's about to face. And what does he do with the disciples? They sing a hymn. And from what I can tell across the Gospels, that's the last thing they do together before his crucifixion is sing a hymn. That's beautiful. You and I need to be singing and worshiping God together corporately. On church on Sundays, with our families, with our friends, we need to be singing his praise so that we can set our minds on things above. That's the example we have here in Scripture. If you want that verse, it's Matthew 26, 30. Then Jesus makes this prediction, you will all fall away, but you will come back together. Here's something else we need to note. Sacrifice separates. When you and I dare, when you and I dare to sacrifice something, it generally will separate us from others. No matter how small that woman who came and she sacrificed, it separated her from those men. It made her a point of criticism for those men. And yet, separation being called out, right? It's a call to holiness. There was a holy moment when that woman came and anointed the Lord Christ. Acknowledging him, right? And you and I are given opportunities to live separate from this world. To be united with Christ. And that's going to draw criticism. Resurrection, however, reconciles. So see, Jesus is is marching towards Calvary now, and he's saying, I'm going to go there to sacrifice, and it's going to separate us. It's going to separate us for a while, because sacrifice separates, because it's it's unthinkable. We don't understand it. It's not what we thought was going to happen, or how it needed to happen, or whatever, right? And yet, this is the hope. Reconciliation. This is the hope resurrection reconciles. He says, you will come back together. Peter says, I will not fall away. I love Peter. I will not fall away. He's absolutely confused. He's like, no, 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 I'm not going to do this. And you and I, no, no. It's so easy to read the gospels and, and look at how the disciples responded and criticize them. We end up becoming some of the critics. You know, we read about the critics of the woman anointing him. And we're like, my goodness, I can't believe they said that. And yet, it is so easy for you and I to fall into those positions and criticize. And Peter's like, yeah, no, I, no, 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 not me, not me. And Jesus says, you will deny me three times. And Peter insisted not. Again, I I want to suggest to you that you and I often regularly deny Christ in how we live, in how we speak, in how we treat others. We might not say in the words of Peter, I don't know him, but we're saying it in how we're living, how we're treating others, how we're treating our spouse, our kids, our neighbors, how we're honoring God in word and deed and attitude. We deny him. We read this passage and we're like, Peter, how could you? How could we? We do it too. We do it too. Gethsemane is covered in verses 32 through 42 of this chapter. And you'll remember that Jesus says to the disciples, sit here while I pray. 
And then he took the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and went a little further, right? And he was very distressed and troubled. Again, he knew what he was facing. Jesus never lost sight of why he came. And he came to die. He came to die. He comes again someday in glory to reign. That's his second coming. But the first time, he came to die. He came to die. He says, remain and keep watch. And this is our directive for now. We are to remain and keep watch. It says that Jesus went beyond. He fell and he prayed. And if it is possible, please, please. And you and I have been in those positions before. We've been in those situations where we can see what's coming down the pike, right? Right? And we trust that God's going to use it in an amazing way. Maybe we know intuitively that it is necessary. Peter writes about that in 1 Peter, those things that are necessary. So we realize that this is necessary, that it is actually for our good or someone whom we really love, is it's for their good. And yet we're just like, please, 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 if there's any other way. I love the rawness of this passage. The God man. This is Jesus saying, if there is any other way, there's any other way, but not my will, but yours. I think I've mentioned this here before. I think this whole example that we get here in Gethsemane is an example to you and me, not just of Jesus's submission to the will, right? But also a surrender to the way, right? I want... I want to become more like Christ. I want God's will in my life, but I want it my way, right? I want it my way. So I am on occasion submitted, but I'm not surrendered. And that's what we're called to is not just submit to his will, but surrender to his way. And we see that here. We see the example for us to want it enough to lean in, submit to his will and surrender to his way. It's just so powerful to read. It says then that he was betrayed. He was betrayed. It says in 43 that Judas arrives armed with a crowd. And I wonder, when Judas brought the crowd with clubs, you know, they were armed, I wonder, there was no indication that they needed that to take Jesus. I mean, he wasn't fighting. I mean, he did he did cleanse the temple, so there's that. But I wonder if it was to protect Judas. I don't know. But an armed crowd comes from the chief priests, the scribes, and the religious leaders. And Judas greets him, Rabbi, so disingenuous. He greets him, and he kisses him. A kiss was the signal that this is Christ. And Jesus is seized. He's taken. It says here then, you'll remember this. This is our, our friend Peter. Peter draws his sword. So maybe the armed crowd was a good thing because of Peter's presence, right? He draws his sword and he's going to defend Christ. He is not going to let them take Christ, right? And so his first move is to start whacking and he takes off Malchus's ear, cuts off his ear. And 
you've probably heard me say this before. I don't think that's because he was aiming at his ear. I think he was aiming at his throat and Malchus ducked. Right? And his last healing miracle, Jesus heals Malchus's ear. Don't miss that. It's a little thing we read over, but that's pretty significant. Jesus has been seized. Peter draws his sword and whacks off his ear. And Jesus is allowed to heal his ear. I want to know the rest of Malchus's life story. I'm just wondering how changed you are when you're in the crowd and what position is he? Is he curious? Is he confused? Is he caught up? Is this peer pressure? Why is Malchus there? Is he really believe that this is necessary? Is he incensed? Or is he just caught up in what everybody else is doing that night? He's just holding a torch. How did Malchus even end up being there? And in this moment of excruciating pain, his ears on the ground, right? And Jesus heals him. What influence did that have on him? What influence did it have on anybody else in that crowd to see that up close and personal? And they're still hauling Jesus off. They're still taking him away. You can read about the healing in Luke twenty-two fifty-two. It's just one verse. But then it says that all the disciples fled. All of them fled. They said they wouldn't. But when push came to shove, they did. They ran away. In confusion, in panic, they ran. They ran. He's led away, it says, Jesus is, in 53 through 65. And it says that Peter followed at a distance. Again, it's a point that we can criticize for Peter, but you and I do that sometimes. We're content to follow Jesus at a distance. I do not believe that is actually following. It might be dragging our feet, but we're called to follow, like up close and personal, follow. And Peter followed at a distance. We see Peter here just really like, what is going on, and I want to keep my options open, right? Just tried to defend him. He didn't want me to defend him, and in fact, he healed the guy's ear, but I thought he was the Christ. You wonder, is Peter already beginning to remember all of the foreshadowings, all of the foretellings of Christ? Is any of that in his head? Is he trying to make sense of it? What is it? It says Peter followed at a distance to the courtyard, and he stepped sat warming himself and you can go through and read 53 through 65 right 53 through 65 you get all of this about peter's denial of christ and you've probably read it before i would invite you to lean in dig in and study that and think of in your own life those moments where you've been confronted with your association with christ And how have you handled that? Have you embraced him and declared him and testified to him? Or have you denied him like Peter did? Picking up then in 72, it says, after the third time of Peter's denial, it says, immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the prediction of his denials. And he began to weep. 
I began to weep. I really pray that you will be able to take some time to to really dig in to chapter 14. There is so much more here that we didn't get to cover today. I hope that you've been inspired to study the word of God, to go in and listen to what he said, what he did. Go back and look at the anointing. Watch how the religious leaders behave. Watch Jesus's consistency and his behavior. Notice his focus. Notice his submission and his surrender. And dare, dare to allow the God of the universe to transform you into the image of his son. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at rachelcarmen.com. And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible Curriculum. We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. Moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged, and we need accountability in the Word. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast. Everyone wants to change the world. Capital Ministries is doing just that, one heart at a time by creating disciples of Jesus Christ among political leaders in the U.S. and foreign nations. For more than 25 years, founder Ralph Drawlinger has written Bible studies specifically for public servants. Study along with us and learn what the Bible says about capitalism, communism, abortion, same-sex marriage, and other contemporary issues. Subscribe and follow us at lifeaudio.com or search Capital Ministries on your favorite podcast platform.